Good morning. Welcome to Kahului Baptist Church and a very special welcome to our preschool Ohana. Uh, I do want to give a very big thank you because uh, it has been a joy of mine to serve with our preschool and staff for six years, seven years now, going on the seventh, and uh, they are just all incredible. It has been a joy to know you, to grow with you, and walk with you, the staff. So can we just give the staff a hand? They're awesome, yeah? Thank you. Uh, they, they are incredible, and uh, I only have to scold them once every never. And uh, so uh, it is good. They, they really don't. They're awesome. They're fantastic. So uh, it is a joy to have you. Joy to have you all, your children. It is often the simple truths sung by children that are the answers to complex problems. It is often these simple truths that are answers to our complex problems. For instance, our God is so big, so strong, so mighty, there is nothing our God cannot do. Do you believe that this morning? Isn't that exactly what you need to know and hear in the midst of your trials today? That God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. The title of the sermon today, if you're taking notes, is Expect Your Miracle. Now, at the end of that is a question mark. Expect Your Miracle, question mark. That's the title of the sermon I want you to consider how different your trial would be today, how different your life would be today if you really grasped how big, strong, and mighty God is. One of the things I love about the preschool age, I have three children, seven, five, and three. Three children, the preschool age, is they still believe that you as dad or you as mom or you as grandparent or whatever are superhero. They believe you can do anything. They believe you're big and mighty. That's why they ask these kind of out there questions. My, one of my children this week asked me if we could ride, if we could ride our bicycles to Haiku. <laughs> haiku? You might as well ride to the end of the world. What is it going to ride to Haiku? No, we're not riding to Haiku. We live in Kahului. We'll ride across the street if we're lucky. No. We have people who come from Haiku. I love my Haiku country, country family. But I, I will probably not be riding my bicycle out to you. God is big, though. See, I have limitations. Our children will all learn. Time will teach them. It is already teaching them. Mommy and Daddy have limitations. Mommy and Daddy get tired. But I'm also teaching my children God never gets tired. God is infinitely strong. He's infinitely mighty. He's massive, and he will never let you down. Mommy, Daddy, we will let you down. God, God is always there, everywhere, all the time, no matter what. He is big, strong, and mighty. He has no limits, and that is the answer to your problem today. And it was the answer to the problem in our text in Daniel chapter 3. Let's pray and we'll get into it. Father in heaven, we ask for your special blessing on this time. We ask that you would deliver us 
from our trials or through them, but in any case, may we not compromise our faith for temporal comforts. Lord, I do thank you for the preschool families, and I do ask that in this season of life where energy is low, the needs are high, and sometimes tension is high in families, I pray, give them a desperate word of hope and help through your son Jesus this morning. And I also want to pray for our church plant, Waihu Community Church. I lift them up as they have some traveling and Waihe. Uh, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word there and that you would build the church there and everywhere that the gospel is preached across Hawaii and across the nations. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Here's the big idea for the sermon that will capture everything I'm going to say. Here's the big idea. Whether from death or through death, God always delivers his people. Whether from death or through death, God always delivers his people. That's the big idea. I have three points. Point number one, the edict. The edict. Point number two, the examination. Number two, the examination. And number three is the expectation. They all start with ease, for ease of remembrance. So, uh, number one, the edict. Verses one through seven is how we're going to co cover this passage. What's been going on? So, in our church here, you're, you're joining us, our preschool ohana, which we love. We've been walking through the book of Daniel. We just started it. We're in chapter three. We're going to go all the way through it. We'll take a break for the summer, and we'll jump back in the, the last half of September, uh, starting in September. But so far, what seen is the battle of the gods are on display. What do I mean? Israel, the nation, has fallen to Babylon. Now, in those days, it was really a battle of gods. When, it, when an army would go out, they would go out with their gods, and they would pray, give us victory, give us victory. And the other army would go out, and they'd pray, give us victory, give us victory. And whichever god or army prevailed, that was the superior god. You see? Israel and Jerusalem has fallen to Babylon. So what's the message in Daniel that they're wrestling with? The people of God are wondering, is Babylon superior? Are the Babylonian gods superior to Yahweh? Or did Yahweh forsake us because of our sin? You see, that's what they're wrestling with. It is an identity crisis at a fundamental level. And should we worship the gods of Babylon if they're better? Should we cave into them and worship them if they're superior? They have superior might, superior technology, superior resources, beautiful mansions. They have one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the hanging tower of Babel. Beautiful. Maybe we should worship the gods of the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar who believed himself a god. That's where we're at. Chapter 2, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had a dream. Anybody ever have a bad dream? Anybody in a bad dream right this minute? Hope not, right? No. 
Nebuchadnezzar the king has a bad dream. He can't sleep. The king of the empire, the, this massive Babylonian empire that covers most of the known world to the ancient mind at this time, yeah, he rules and he's got a bad dream, a series of bad dreams. It's a reoccurring bad dream. It's freaking him out. It's causing him anxiety. He can't sleep. He summons the wise men in chapter 2, all the wise men of Babylon, to interpret, to tell him the dream and interpret the dream. They all fail, except for who? Daniel. You guessed it. Daniel. God reveals the dream to Daniel in a vision of the night in response to prayer. And Daniel tells the king this dream. The, the king sees an image. So picture an image of a man, a statue. And this image is made of different golds and of material, different metals. The head of the image is gold, followed by the chest and the arms of silver. The torso and the thighs, uh, sorry, the torso is bronze and the thighs are bronze. The legs are iron and the feet are iron mixed with clay. By the way, those two things don't mix. So it's brittle, it's weak there. In this dream of this man, he sees a stone come out of nowhere, strike the statue on the feet, and the whole thing crumbles down. You could see why for a king this would be concerning. What's it mean for him? Is an assassin going to rise up? Another kingdom perhaps going to strike us at a weak point? Are there allies right now trying to maneuver their way through different political chains to try and assassinate me? What's going on, you see? Daniel tells the king, this is a succession of kingdoms and kings. Ultimately, the message is they will all pass away and the kingdom of God will reign forever. That's the ultimate message in a nutshell. That's where we today, if we were to fast forward. Daniel goes on and he tells Nebuchadnezzar, the head is gold. The head is gold. And now this is all really important to understand chapter 3 because chapter 3 opens and how does Nebuchadnezzar respond? This is his response to this dream from God. How does he respond? He's just been told he's the head of gold. And what does he make? He makes a statue, doesn't he? And what is the statue made of? Gold. And where is it gold at? All of it. All of it's gold from the head to the toes. Now, this is an example of somebody taking advice or revelation and going in the total wrong direction with it. I can imagine Daniel seeing this and just thinking, face palm, that's not what I had in mind, king. <laughs> not for you to make a statue and have everybody worship you with that. But this is his response. This is Nebuchadnezzar's response. He is defying God, in essence. He is trying to control the story. In effect, he's saying, the statue in my dream might have had feet of clay. It might have been weak, but I'm all gold. That kingdom might have had a weak point and will come to an end. My kingdom will last forever. He's defying, you see? 
He's defying the God of heaven. This isn't just a random, let's make a statue. He is bucking against the message of God through Daniel and in his dream. It's a potential, Daniel said in chapter 2, that the iron mixed with clay, he said, these kings will try to mix with one another through marriage. Interesting, but it will not work. So it's possible that Nebuchadnezzar might have said, hmm, maybe the weak point for my kingdom will come through this channel of marriage, trying to mix with marriage. So I'm not going to have a united kingdom through marriage. I'm going to make a united kingdom through worship. One religion. Let's try and bring everybody under one religious system One belief. And so, he builds this image. The text tells us, it gives it in cubits, but I'll give it to you in modern measurements. It's 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He sets it up in the plain of Dura so all can see it. For comparison, the Sphinx in Egypt is about 66 feet high. So think about the Sphinx in Egypt. If you were to stand next to one of those how high up it looks. That's only 66 feet. This was 90. This would have been a very, very large statue in the ancient world. You would have been able to see it from very far away. I was in China in 2007. Uh, 2007, we were in China on a trip, and we were in the middle of nowhere. Just This is the back country of China. You don't get any more back country of China than we were. We were very far from any form of modern civilization. It was dirt roads, paths all around, mountainous region, and here we are in the middle of nowhere, hours from any major city, any major building type of machines, and up on this mountain in the middle of nowhere, we see a giant statue of Buddha very high up and a temple at the top. And we just thought to ourselves, how, how do we get, how, how do they do that? How do they get it there? It's incredible. But you could see it from very far away. This is the way this statue would have been, able to be seen from vast distances away. So Nebuchadnezzar sets it up. He summons all of his officials, the entire court, and they're going to do what we do. When we have a building or something massive that we want to open and start to use, what do we do? We dedicate it. We have a big ceremony, and so he calls all of the officials of Babylon come together for this dedication ceremony, and they say, when you hear the orchestra, the instruments begin to play, bow down in unison and worship the image. And if you don't, you're going to be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. No pressure. No pressure. And so the music begins, and all bow down. This is a foolish response of a man to a divinely revealed message. It's a foolish response of a man to a divinely revealed message. If you recall, the message of that dream was that God reigns as supreme, not man. God's kingdom will last forever not earthly kingdoms. And Nebuchadnezzar is fighting that message through his image. Now, let me ask this morning by way of application. How many of us 
are like Nebuchadnezzar this morning? How many of you are like the king and his image this morning? You say, what do you mean, pastor? God has revealed to you in no uncertain terms that his kingdom is of utmost importance. His kingdom is ultimate, but we keep living for our own kingdoms. We keep trying to build our own kingdoms. You say, what do you mean by that? Keep it in mind. Just drop that nugget there for now. We're going to get more on that in a minute. Let's get into the passage. But this is the edict. Fall down and worship or burn. Number one, the edict. Number two, the examination. Verses 8 to 15, the examination. An accusation comes all of a sudden from some of these leaders, these Chaldeans against the Jews, against the three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why not Daniel? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. Maybe Daniel's away in another part of the kingdom on business. Maybe he's sick. Maybe he wasn't there. We don't know where Daniel is, but he's not there. We do know Daniel ruled exactly in the king's court. He was right there with the king, one of his right-hand men. The other guys were part of a cabinet. They ruled over the affairs of Babylon. So maybe Daniel had some sort of special protection or provision. Whatever it is, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But his three friends... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are put in the hot seat, pun intended. They are put in the hot seat. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were all alumni with Daniel at the University of Babylon. They all graduated with the same class. They went together. They grew up together. They went into exile together. And these three excelled and were also put in high positions of leadership. We have to remember, the higher you rise in your field, the more enemies you are likely to have. It was no different with them. And certain Chaldeans began to make accusations against the Jews. Perhaps there's a resistance forming. They go to the king, and they make three charges in verse 12. The first charge is they pay no attention to you, king. So now they're talking to Nebuchadnezzar. They're painting their picture. These guys, king, pay no attention to you. Didn't you make this law? That when, when you play the music, they're to bow down. These guys, they're not listening to you. They pay no attention to you. They do not worship your gods, and they do not worship your image, the image that you have set up. Do you see what's happening here? They're painting a picture, a portrait. They're painting worship of Yahweh as a threat to their civilization. They're painting this religious system as harmful, dangerous even, to their society. Beloved, I don't have time to flesh it out this morning. We'll flesh it out because we get into this more in Daniels 4, 5, and 6. But this is what's happening in our country today. Christianity, worship of Jesus alone, and adherence to the Christian faith is being portrayed as dangerous, divisive, harmful, and hateful. Mark my words, the accusation will increasingly grow, it's already there, that the Christian faith is harmful to our society and at odds with social progress. It's already there, and it's going to grow increasingly. My guess is in your workplace, you currently get by by just being silent or not discussing controversial matters when they arrive. That's well and good. 
But the day will come, you rest assured, when the music begins to play. And all bow down. And you will have to choose in that moment, and it will be unmistakable whether you will stand or bow as well. It will be increasingly difficult to not say anything because there will come a time where not saying anything is saying something. And it already is. I'll leave it there for now. If you want to hear the rest, come back for Daniel 5 and 6. This report of these people defying the king results in Nebuchadnezzar's response of furious rage. I just think of that double superlative. Just, he could have just said rage and we, we would have got the picture, right? But he doesn't just say rage. He says furious rage. He's boiling. He brings them in. He repeats the command. He tells them the charge against them. Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You can think, after all I've done for you, I educated you. You've got the best of Babylon. You're leaders now. Is this true? Is this how you repay the kindness of the king? Now, the music's going to play. If you bow down, well and good. If, if not, you'll be thrown immediately into the burning, fiery furnace. And he makes a point to emphasize, if this is out of some devotion to a God that you have, he's not going to deliver you. He will burn with you. Who is the God able to deliver you out of my hands? This is incredible pressure. There's any number of ways you can imagine how they would have rationalized their decision to bow. God will forgive us. He's gracious. Yahweh is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness to thousands. We can, we can do this and he'll forgive us. Or we can just bow and, and in our hearts we know we're bowing to God. Because what is bowing? Bowing is nothing. We bow all the time. But it's my heart that matters, not the form of worship. Or we know that of the Jews were bowing as well because it said all the people's nations and languages present bowed. But the Jews were caving as well. You can imagine from inside their own camp, some of the false prophets, false teachers in the Israelite nation were probably beginning to say, yeah, guys, this isn't, there's no problem with this. We can, we can bow to this image and remain true to Yahweh. Tremendous pressure. After all, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't asking them to replace their religion. He wasn't asking them to reject Yahweh. He was asking them to modify it. Remember, these aren't monotheists. These are, these are pluralists. They have many gods. What's one more? Just add to it. Just, just worship your God and bow to this image. He asked them to add to their religion. Beloved, be very careful of adding to or seeking to modify what God has clearly what God has clearly revealed. Be very careful about adding to or modifying it. 
If God calls something sin and evil, we should never seek to call that action or lifestyle good or righteous. Amen? If God reveals something as wicked and harmful, we should never say it is helpful and beautiful. See, we don't seek to be God. We submit to God. We don't seek to alter reality. We seek to understand reality as God has revealed it and follow Him. Remember, what is Nebuchadnezzar's response to the report of their refusal to worship? How did he respond when he heard of the charge? Furious rage. Furious rage. And we're going to bend it back to you now. You're like, I thought it was already on me. Nope, not yet. Gets better. Gets better. Furious rage. I asked you earlier, how many of you are like Nebuchadnezzar? How many of you are trying to build your own kingdom, get your own way, have your own worship? Furious rage, this emotion, is always a clue to your idolatrous desires. Anybody ever feel furious rage at Costco? <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. Anybody ever feel furious rage driving? Driving into the church parking lot? Oh, don't put your hands up. <laughs> Let me add to that thought now. How do you respond when people fail to worship you when you want and how you want? That was Nebuchadnezzar's response. They didn't worship him. The sound of the music. They didn't bow down as he commanded. How do you respond when people fail to worship you when you want or how you want. You say, ooh, that's still, I'm kind of getting it, but not quite there yet. Let's bring it down more. When you ask somebody to do something, or someone doesn't do something you thought they should do, or when your spouse is late again, when you stay late at work again, when you don't get the help you want again, when you have to put the kids and do dinner and bath and bed by yourself and you're exhausted and you're doing it alone again. When you don't get invited to something again. When somebody speaks to you disrespectfully or in a way you didn't like, then what happens? Furious rage. I dare to think there's perhaps some in here at the sound of my voice, when these things happen, we stomp around, slam doors, slam cabinets, slam drawers, swear, yell, belittle, name call, perhaps throw things, smartphones kind of make it difficult to hang up the phone angry. We huff and puff, complain, grumble, sulk, hulk, whatever it is. We have all sorts of names for it, don't we? My blood boils. I'm Portuguese. 
you're just a man, you're a redhead, you have too much testosterone, it's that time of the month, I'm under a lot of stress, you've had a hard week. All of these are labels we put over our actions to mask a very simple truth that none of us want to admit. You and I want to be worshipped and obeyed when we demand it and how we expect it. Amen? That's the, that's the truth. I want to be worshipped and obeyed. You want to be worshipped and obeyed. And if the response is anything other than how we have dictated it, either in our minds or verbally, the lawbreakers face our what? Furious wrath. Praise God we don't have an actual, literal, burning, fiery furnace, or at times we'd probably throw people in there. Amen? Maybe it's just me. The truth is, we all want to be the God, lowercase g, in our worlds. And until we relinquish control to the only true God, not add to it, not modify to it, but submit to the one true God and let him reorder my life, let him reorder my family, let God reorder my affections and my priorities. Until that happens, you will not be happy. And you will not have peace in your families. Until that happens, you will find strife, difficulty, and furious rage. Somebody will always do something wrong, and no amount of worship will ever be enough to pacify you. Nebuchadnezzar responds and issues the challenge, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Which brings us to point number three, the expectation. The expectation. Verse 16 to 18. I love this part. It's got to be one of the best responses. It should be made a movie out of, and, and it should just have this. This would be like a pinnacle, like, yeah, this is a wonderful response. They say, King, we don't need to argue with you or defend ourselves to you. We have no need of these things. I love that. This is huge. Too many times, if we're honest, we want to argue, don't we? If we're honest, we want to defend ourselves. We want to outmaneuver and show my wisdom and cleverness and get that, aha, got you, tap out. <laughs> Too many times we want to do that, don't we? It almost never happens, does it? And if it does happen, we're rarely satisfied, are we? It doesn't give us the result we had hoped. They say we don't need to argue or defend. Many times, beloved, you don't need to argue or defend. Just assert a simple truth. They assert and they say our God is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He is able to. This is important, but not mandated. Did you get that? Hear that title, Expect Your Miracle? Question mark. God is able to deliver, but he is not mandated to deliver. What am I talking about? There is a theology in our land that takes the name of Jesus, and it is, I'm going to be kind, rubbish. You say, that's being kind? Yeah, that's being kind. It hurts people. 
It's called Prosperity Gospel. You've heard of it. It's the Prosperity Gospel. It proclaims health, wealth, and prosperity promised to you by God. There's a mega church. Many of you have probably sang the songs that come out of this church, Bethel Church in California. Recently, this church, they are a prosperity theology church. They have a theology that's called Jesus' Perfect Theology. And they say Jesus purchased with his blood all the miracles, the yes and amen to any miracle you need. You only need to have faith to name it and claim it. Sadly, in December 2019, a two-year-old girl died. You can imagine the shock, the grief, the family. We actually don't want to imagine it. Terrible. And this church's response was to focus their energies and efforts to pray for a miraculous resurrection because they say these things are seen in the Bible and we should expect them now. This is terrible theology. This is harmful theology. This is not what the Bible teaches. This is not what is promised in the gospel. That we are delivered from death and we demand it. No. They say our God is able. He is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, because they recognize they had no right to lay claim of what God would or wouldn't do, but they knew whether from death or through death, God would deliver them. We are not promised health, wealth, and prosperity. And so they move and they say, God will. You see the difference here? He moves from our God is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace, burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So what's the connection here? Either from death or through death, God will deliver his people. See, believers of old knew something we need to recapture, that for those who follow Jesus, who believe in God, the sentence of death is not a death sentence. The sentence of death is not a death sentence for those who believe in God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not see it as a death sentence. Neither should we. Beloved, hear this, to be delivered from death and the wrath of God through faith and the promises of God through Christ is no small miracle. That is no small feat to escape from God's wrath because he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for sinners for my sin, for your sin, for your anger, for my anger, for your desire to be God, for my desire to be God. He bore the penalty of death such that all who are in Christ will never die. Hear it from Jesus himself, John eleven twenty five. 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That's the promise of the gospel. That's the promise of the gospel. Though you die, yet shall you live. Do you believe that this morning? That's your miracle then. And you can expect it. For all who believe in Christ Jesus, deliverance from the wrath of God and life forevermore. You can expect it. 
you can name that miracle, you can claim that miracle. Though you die, you shall live. God will deliver you either from death or through death. And many times it is through death, but he is never mandated to deliver you from physical pain and suffering. And actually, it's our unwillingness at times to accept that that keeps us from the rest of the story. It keeps us from the end. You know what happens at the end? You got to come next week to find out. (laughs) But no matter what they say, they respond, we will not worship, we will not bow. There is compromise from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They remain faithful even to the point of death. So let's close it up with two points of application. Number one, God is able to deliver you from painful circumstances this morning. He is able to. And I pray he does, if that is his will. But it doesn't mean it is. He is able to, but get this, our obedience to God, your obedience to God this morning, should never be contingent on whether he will deliver you in the way you want him to. You got that? Your obedience to God should never be contingent on whether he will deliver you the way you want him to. They could have easily reasoned the other way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, man, we've been faithful to God throughout our entire time in exile. I studied hard at the University of Babylon. I honored him. I ate vegetables and water for three years. For three years for God. I almost died and lost my wife when those wise morons of Babylon couldn't answer the dream. And now I'm ruling faithfully and God's going to let me get thrown into a furnace? I'm done. I'm done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast my lot in with Nebuchadnezzar. They could have done that. But no, they don't compromise their faith no matter what. It's your second point. Do not bow your knee to sin or other gods. So let me ask you this. Where are you tempted to compromise your faith in your life? Where are you tempted to compromise your faith in your life. Maybe it's at work. Maybe you compromise your tongue. You come here and God bless you. Yes, yeah, I love you guys. You come here and then at work, forget this. Swear words this, swear words that. That guy's a more, you know, maybe you compromise your tongue at work. You jest and you swear in order to be funny or to fit in. And with your mouth, with your tongue, you bless and you curse. James says these things should not be the book of James. Maybe you stick around after work, Pauhana time. You seek refuge and strength from the God of liquor and alcohol. I'm going to unwind a little bit, and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to drink one too many and then drive home. Perhaps you lead your family to worship at the God of recreation Instead of gathering with God's people regularly as commanded in the word, perhaps you do something else on the weekend. And church is something that you do when really you have nothing else to do. You worship the God of freedom. I do what I want, when I want. And in effect, I'm my own God. For those like this, Nebuchadnezzar, like him, you don't reject Christianity. You don't reject the church. 
You just modify it to suit your needs and your wants. And all of it, whatever it looks like in your life, is a compromise. The truth is, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would rather face the wrath of Nebuchadnezzar than to face the wrath of God. All of us are destined to stand before a holy God. All of us deserve sin, except those who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and life forevermore. Only those will be free from God's wrath. Only those will see God's infinite kindness and beauty. So I ask again, what happens to these three? They're bound up, and they're thrown into a burning, fiery furnace, just like Nebuchadnezzar said. And then what happens after that? Something extraordinary. You'll have to return, come back next week. I hope you will. Next Sunday morning, 10:15. It's a joy to have you with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we confess, we confess that we all want to be our own God. Forgive us for this, Father. We justly deserve your anger, and yet we graciously receive your favor offered to us freely through Christ. Thank you for this great gift. May we receive it by faith and walk in it. I pray that you would bless these families. I pray that you would bless these children, God. May you keep them from all evil, keep their very life from this day forth and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now is a time of invitation and response. I'm going to be in this room to my right and your left. They're going to play a song, and our kids are going to come back out here, and, and they're going to sing, and they're going to do our, our closing deal, and we're going to go out and fellowship. But I, I do want to take a moment and invite you, if you'd like prayer for or about anything, family issues, health issues, God issues, I don't care. If you'd like prayer for or about anything, I'm going to be in this room over here to my right and your left, right through these exit doors. You can go around the back. Some people go around the back and come around the side here. Don't trip and fall on the grass, please. Or you can come right straight forward, and I'd love to pray with you and for you. Otherwise, thank you, and God bless your day.